Progressive values are being challenged globally with right-wing governments getting out of fucking control by controlling women. These anti-feminist regimes want to take us back to when men were in caves and women were their property. Will the mainstream media eggs them on with think pieces to question our right to live how the fuck we want? And they think we're just going to take it up the ass? Bitch, please. Join us, your favorite intersectional feminist bitches, to bring the wrath of intersectional bitchdom to these misogynist, racist, ableist, anti-LGBTQ, anti-poor motherfuckers by joining the bad and bitchy movement on our Patreon, where you'll get real feminist news, real feminist takes, and a real fucking intersectional feminism. You will support not only our pod, but our work on initiatives like Orders Up, where we hold the restaurant industry to account for their culture of sexual harassment. Visit patreon.com forward slash bad and bitchy to support independent feminist media in this time of resistance. These people need to be held accountable by those who are not in their back pockets and trying to get into cocktail events with them. Stay bitchy, my friends. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Erica. And Amy is out of town for work this week. Um, Also, we weren't here last week because Ottawa had six tornadoes and we... Erica and Amy didn't have power, and my apartment is not big enough to have people in it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is why we had no episode. Um, but our thoughts are with all of those affected by the tornadoes, all fucking six of them. Um, and uh, if you have the means, whether time or financially, to donate to relief efforts, please try to do so if you're in the Ottawa area. That's right. Uh, Erica, so you ha- didn't have power for how long? I think 48 hours. How did that feel? I was, I, I had power, so. It is, okay. First of all, it's depressing as fuck to like sit in your place with no, in darkness. It is depressing. I mean, I, I, I have to say I worked, I worked out some emotional power, like personal shit. Oh, I interesting. Gotta say. Yeah. Uh, because I had to sit with it. Yeah. There's nothing I could do, right? So you're kind of in limbo, and then you start thinking and stuff. But I, uh, um, I met up with a friend of mine on Saturday afternoon, and um, shout out to you because you know who you are. Um, and so we we went to you know Ahora, the Mexican restaurant. Yep. Uh, yeah, in the market. So we went there, ate, and I was like. I have no power. So I brought all like my electronics. And stuff. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> and um, so I hung out with her for the weekend and we actually bonded. Oh, very nice. Yeah. So there you go. Cool. So there was a silver lining. Yeah. Well, I was I was concerned concerned about you because I know you're not a reader. Yeah. So like in other words, like novels and stuff. Sure. <laughs> before people think like i don't she's illiterate (laughs) (laughs) she's illiterate that's a chris rock reference by the way okay (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so um just a quick shout out to two patrons 
um, who have joined our Patreon, Patreon, patreon.com slash bad and bitchy. So shout out to Angela and Maya. Thank you for supporting us. Um, and yeah, uh, it's been a shitty week. Not going to lie. I, I, I feel a mix of rage and despair. Yes. Despair or like, like hopelessness or. Yeah. 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 It's, it's very overwhelming what we have to overcome. Mm -hmm. It's very sad that 27 years after Anita Hill, we're still here. Yeah. I mean, it's like we've learned nothing. We've learned nothing. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I'll bring that up later in the in the podcast, because, you know, I I I don't want to teach anymore. Mm. I feel like, OK, so what are we ready to do? Yeah. And so which brings us to now what? Mm hmm. So now what is a grassroots advocacy campaign that we are involved in as individuals slash as the podcast um, that is um, trying to make gender based violence uh, and gender issues a topic of concern for candidates. One in the provincial election that happened uh, earlier this year and two in our upcoming municipal election. So on October 2nd, we will be hosting a mayoral candidates debate. Which is the day you are listening to us in your little head. Yes. Oh, yes, it is. Um, our current mayor has uh, indicated that he's not attending because he has some fundraiser to go to. Which, uh, you know what? Fine. We didn't expect him to come anyway, which is... Well, it just, uh, you know, it's like I said, I mean... Our current mayor, his attention to gender-based issues has been wanting. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, so um, he won't be there. He has declined. And, um, but we have nine more candidates who have RSVP'd yes, so... Yeah, and that's really exciting just to see the commitment from mayoral candidates, and all of them are men. Mm. Um, Yes. Whether or not they have any real shot at winning is not the point, but the fact that they're at least interested and willing to discuss these issues, I think, says something. Well, the mayor's main opposition, Clive Doucette, is coming. Sure. um, Which says something. I, I always say, like, people indicate how how much they are um, like into whatever into you or into what you're doing, whether Mm -hmm. or not they show up that is. And, and you know, like the correspondence has been wanting to. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then we are also going to be on a panel uh, on October 4th in Ottawa. So if you're in the area, come see us. Uh, We are going to be speaking at the Guild Ottawa's next event, and we're going to be talking about how to be political as a small business owner uh, with regards to your marketing, your company values, etc. You can get tickets at theguildottawa.myshopify.com, and you can find them on social media. We'll tell you how not to be Reebok. basically we'll tell you how to be nike yes and not (laughs) pepsi (laughs) how not to screw it up (laughs) 
Uh, honestly, cheers to that person who came up with the Kaepernick campaign. Yeah. Yo. You need to be promoted. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like it. Yeah. It was brilliant. And um, they did. Honestly, they got the balance right. Yeah. A lot of people said they didn't go far enough. I get that. But at the same time. No, I think it was good. I think I think they they planted the seed in our minds. Mm-hmm. And that's what an ad, a good ad campaign does. Yeah. It doesn't give you everything. It plants that seed. And, and it starts uh, a discussion. Exactly. Exactly. And unlike um, Reebok, who basically. <laughs> did you see that? That ad? No. Okay. So Reebok. Okay. This this is awesome because I can't believe I'm like okay sorry. Reebok I have became to cool again recently. You know what? Until the, it didn't in the era of like dad shoes. Yeah. Okay. So um, I think I just realized that I always thought that I kept us like in control of the conversation, and maybe it was Amy, or maybe it was just the presence of a third person. I think it's the presence <laughs> of a third person. There are two of us. We have to. Um, we got to fill the space. We got to fill the space. <laughs> What is her name? See, now I'm going to be... Okay. Describe on. her. Um, my, I should know her name. Sweet I, you don't know anyone's name. That's true. Okay. The general in... in um, the general with the bald head, with the bald head and who took off her wig and, and like, basically... In what show? In Black Panther. Oh... Uh, what yeah. is her name? I okay, don't know. Wait a minute. Oh, I'm not gonna Okoye. lie. She was a Koye in Black Panther. Okay. So, oh Jesus, I'm not saying her name. I think her name is Danai or Danae. 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 Dana. Guerrera. Yeah. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Yeah Danae yeah. Guerrera. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she's in an, a Reebok ad. Let me show you this ad. Now. It says, we have to make our shoulders strong enough for someone else to stand on. <gasps> yeah. I mean, yeah. they're not wrong. But don't it's use a not... black woman to do it. No. Because you could have put that with Gigi Hadid, okay? <laughs> like, yeah. the point of this is, and then the hashtag, not your mule. Like, oh. yeah, started trending so this is an example and and the problem is is that um black women have been used forever to prop up white families in slavery to do all the labor in slavery and to become the help in post-slavery times so to say um, you can stand on my shoulders is insulting in mm. that context. <laughs> Everything's contextual, everybody. What may work for one may not work for the other because the context changes. Um, so that's a big fail from Reebok. And that's when you know there were no black people in the room to make the decision. Yeah. So representation matters. Yeah. Okay. All right. So just a quick note. If you are looking for a blow-by-blow account of the Kavanaugh hearings this week, um, go listen to another podcast because we're not going to do that. We will talk tangentially about some other related topics, Mm -hmm. but we're not going to do that because, one, we're not qualified. And two, frankly, like 
we don't really want to rehash it ourselves. No, we we saw it play out. We've done our you you do want to check out our bonus pod on um, with Rewired, yeah, the podcast. Um, it's, it's sorry on, with Rewired News. Sorry, Rewired News. Rewired is it's a different podcast. It's Bailey's podcast oh, on sh- the Wire. So also listen to that if you like the Wire. Damn you, Bailey. Um, but yeah, Rewired.news. Um, we did a podcast with them on reproductive rights in the U.S. And they have been doing their Boom Lawyered podcast updates um, with um, Jess Piclo and Imani Gandhi. Um, so, yeah, definitely listen to them. They are amazing. They will re- they will rehash everything for you. They will give you the legal perspective. They'll give you the feminist perspective. It's a really good podcast. Check it out. All right. So let's get into it, Erica. This week in feminism, we're going to start off with something not super heavy. Really? Because I mean, this looks heavy to me. It's, he- <laughs> it's heavy, but it's not like depressing, really. We can have like a, a light conversation. Okay. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. We don't have to like punch ourselves in the face yet yet is the yeah. operative yeah word. so uh you know we love a survey so pew research center <laughs> released the results of a new poll this week about women in leadership and found that the majority of americans say that there should be more female leaders in politics and business well no fuck um but they also found that it would improve the quality of life for everyone yeah and uh that men and women are equally qualified to be leaders well thank fucking god that people think this However, um, it also found that despite the record number of female candidates running in the midterm elections, American women are increasingly doubtful that voters are ready to elect them. They're even less likely than they were four years ago to think that voters are ready for female elected officials. 57% of women now say this skepticism is a major reason that women are underrepresented in high political offices, up from 41% in 2014, and just under a third of men say the same. Moving to business, women were more likely than men to say that there were too few women in office or leading companies and to say that it was harder for women to get into these positions. Democrats were more likely than Republicans to say so. Republican men also stood out. Only a quarter of them said that there were too few women in leadership, which is compared with almost half of Republican women, roughly three quarters of Democratic men, and more than 80% of Democratic women. Cool. So, Erica, uh, we were having a conversation earlier this week on Twitter about how Canada doesn't have um, a public Michelle Obama type figure or figures. And instead, we get the Sophie Gregoire Trudeau's of the world. So what was the thinking that got you to that place? And how do you think that relates to these results? Um, I was thinking about Trudeau's feminism. Or because it was gender equality week in Canada this yeah. week. Yeah. Was it only in Canada? I don't know. <laughs> yes. There was a bill passed recently. Oh, okay. And that's why we have a gender equality week because they had to legislate it. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. Um, I was thinking about his allyship more specifically. And basically, I think he's doing it wrong. And... The reason is that he seems to take up space everywhere he goes, right? And I think one of the qualities of allyship is that you in a position of power cede space 
to those who are a more knowledgeable than you on a subject and b like you can share the spotlight right so basically this got me to thinking about how i said you know about 2015 and his it's 2015 and i i remember thinking to myself at that point yeah you're just following obama Mm. because it was Obama who was like yeah I'm a feminist and you could believe it with Obama because of the women that he's like he's surrounded by like Michelle is a powerhouse Sophie not so much Mm. and so it kind of got me thinking about you know um, allyship and then the women that you know male allies kind of surround themselves with so I'm not going to say Sophie is, well, okay, I'm going to say it. Look, <laughs> so when it, comes to, when it comes to basically everything, Sophie is out to lunch. Like, she has foot and mouth disease. She, she, she's inappropriate as fuck. And, like, she doesn't seem like she grasps the concept of feminism, much less intersectional feminism. And I find that Trudeau's feminism is not intersectional it's very it's very much a veneer and that's that's what got me to thinking wait a minute is Canada really ready for true feminism and is Canada really ready for leadership where with strong outspoken women in favor of feminist values I'm not talking about those conservative women who decide to you know to underwrite you know male reduction of civil rights Mm -hmm. i'm talking about those same liberal ndp women who um as soon as they're challenged you're like okay 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 you know and i i'm not here for that like this is not the time for to bet on decorum this is not the time to like to kind of stay silent and um that's basically what got me to thinking is Canada really ready for a Michelle Obama like outspoken woman I'm not talking about race I'm talking about the actual like strength of a woman yeah so going back to Trudeau's feminism do you think that he thinks it's intersectional or do you think he just is like feminism is just like you know feminism I don't I think I think it's the latter I don't think he knows the difference and if he doesn't know the difference because he hasn't really shown that he he understands feminism feminist theory feminist critique Mm -hmm. and um and you know in 2015 maybe that was okay but it's not okay now like he hasn't gotten better. And it what it seems like to me is that he doesn't surround himself with women who could teach him better. Because if he understood, he wouldn't be up there on all f- on female panel on panels on feminism. Mm-hmm. He would be like, "Look, I know this organizer who works on the ground who can fill that space." Right. That is the material point is that he still takes up space as a white privileged male and even though he's talking about it it's not it the the optics don't align so for example speaking of gender equality week Mm because you know this really stuck in my craw this week (laughs) so trudeau uh 
and uh, Minister Monsaf, who is the Minister for Status of Women, mm-hmm. who, to Trudeau's credit, he elevated to um, a full ministry instead of just under, I think it was... It was a junior ministry. It was a junior ministry under, is it heritage or or maybe employment? I, I can't remember. Anyway, whatever. Um, he... And Minister Monsaf put together this video, this two-minute video about um, gender equality and why we need gender equality and blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. Why was the man speaking 80% of the time? Like, you should see these optics. She, she, asked him, she asked him questions. He answered them. And instead of maybe him turning and saying, Minister, what do you think of X, Y, and Z? He took up all the fucking oxygen. And all I could think of is every woman who's ever been in a meeting started (laughs) talking and then some dumbass dude or some dude um, like interrupting her and then taking up the space. That's all I thought about. And that's when I'm like, you don't get it. I just thought that exposed that he just did not understand true feminism. Yeah, so to go back to the conversation we had on Twitter. um, So that goes back to, yeah. Yeah, no. Um, When you asked if, you know, Canada was ready for a Michelle Obama type figure and why we get Sophie's. um, Also, shout out to people with parents because every time I say Sophie, I think of Sophie the giraffe. Um, I have no idea what you're talking about. They do. They know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, there's um, a giraffe named Sophie. Yeah. Okay. Um, kids love her. Um, anyway, so I said that no, I said one. I think we could be ready, but it's hard to gauge that across the country because there are definitely pockets that are and other places that aren't. But two, I don't think that we would get one because Canada has an issue with strong, powerful people who go against the grain and you know, rub people the wrong way and ruffle feathers. And we call that tall poppy syndrome. And we don't want people to stand out. We want people to stay the same as everyone else and blend in because that's a polite, courteous thing to do. Um, It's also a way that the powerful stay in power. Yep. It maintains the status quo and it prevents, you know, grassroots organizations and grassroots individuals from rising up into success. But also, I, I also said that, um, People who are achieving great things and ruffling feathers, they don't necessarily want to be in those positions of power because they know that in doing so, they have to adhere to the social norms, which then kind of stifle them and silence them. Well, I can say, as one of those people who likes to ruffle feathers, (laughs) I wouldn't want that either. Yes. Um. I I always say I don't want to become a politician. Mm -hmm. That's why. Because I don't, I think I would be compromising too much of myself. And I'm I'm pretty sure that many people would think so. Is that (laughs) I think I would be compromising too much of myself and too much of my beliefs just to fit in. Because in Canada, Canada is different from the States in the way it sort of, it thinks. Um, in America, standing out is more celebrated. Yes. It's, you know, that individual. Yep. 
in Canada, standing out is a black mark. It's 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 seen as a weakness. And until we sort until we work with that and change that, um, I don't see too many people. I don't see how we're going to make the change that we want to see. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that uh, Canada has a long way to go, and I. Th- in terms of accepting individuality. And I think this is, so when I moved to Ottawa, I uh, was friends with a lot of people who work in government with me. And those are the people that I saw all the time and that I engaged with. And I realized that like, I don't want to have to like think about how I'm going to change in like government from the inside by like following the rules or like not like ruffling feathers but like just enough to like get a little bit of notice like fuck this like i swear like a sailor i don't (laughs) give a fuck Uh, i'm gonna tell people if i think they're full of shit i'm not gonna tell people the things that they want to hear i mean i'll say it nicely and polite in a like professional perspective like um situation but like i'm gonna tell you if i think that you're a backstabbing piece of shit yeah and you're very like matter of fact about it like like it's like it's hashtag i have i have no time (laughs) i have no time for fake people who are just there to climb over top of people that can do things to benefit them i do not care about you yeah because you don't care about me so i'm not gonna help you achieve the things that are best for you by stepping on other people yeah so i very much distanced myself from those people and the more outspoken and the more comfortable i've gotten in ottawa and in who i am here Mm -hmm. the more like those people have distanced themselves from me because right i'm I'm too difficult i'm yeah they they treat you like you're radioactive yeah yeah that's a great point i i i suck at that so much I second that because when I was in government, like, I don't know. I, I feel, I felt like people thought I had this, this, this stain on me just because I spoke out, just because I ruffled feathers. And the thing is, is that that's oppressive and I feel so much better. I've, I, so I was on a panel at Carleton on Thursday and um, for race for the race ethnicity rec hall it's called Mm -hmm. Um, so it's basically race and ethnicity etc etc so they had a panel and basically talking about being being black being a person of color at work and um, so they're like well how do you navigate that now and I'm like, I don't really have to navigate. I am who I am. Mm-hmm. I always am able to change the delivery according to the audience. Yeah. So code switching. Right. But I never change the message. No. So when I'm on, so I sound very different if I'm on like CBC or something. Yeah. I sound very different in the written word. And, and even then you can change how you sound depending on who your audience exactly. is. Exactly. That's just smart. At the end of the day, the message is still the same. I sound different on Twitter than I do on Facebook, you mm-hmm. know, because the message, but the message is and, still well, the and same. And the medium's different. And the medium's different, right? 
So once I learned that, I mean, I feel like I don't have to sacrifice my blackness for anybody. Mm -hmm. And people will be like, oh, what about your clients? And I'm like, you know, I'm not palatable. Even if I were a generalist and, and very status quo, I wouldn't be palatable to everybody. And that's the thing is that like real recognize real, to be honest, and like attracts like. And I get to work with amazing people because we are similar. And that is part of my network. And then it builds you up. That's the thing. So, you know, MP, like Selena is a great example. MP Selena. Yeah. People lost their shit when she started even talking about race. Mm -hmm. Lost their shit. How dare she? She's a ra- they started so when you talk about race by the way do you know you're racist? <laughs> People who have no business yep. talking about race were telling her to shut up. Maxine Bernier, who knows nothing, was telling her to shut up. And she didn't. She kept talking. So I'm hoping that she has begun something. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I'm saying. MP Selena is exactly why like is a great example of us not being ready we ain't ready no so let's go back to this survey (laughs) (laughs) so again like these results don't surprise me the fact that republican men think don't think that there are too few women in leadership you know about a quarter like that's not a like 25 percent of republican men in america think that too few women 25 percent that's insane. Especially when you're talking about like massive conglomerates. Like there are so many massive conglomerates in America. And to be like, eh, you know what? There's not too few women in leadership positions. It's fine. You know what I found interesting about this survey is that the rates were even lower for business. Yes. Yes. They were paltry. Yes. And you know why? It's because those fucking white men, they want to maintain their power so they can sexually harass all the fucking women underneath them. It's all about power. Yep. And, you know, money, influence, power. I mean, these structures. They measure their dicks by how much fucking power they have in the business world. This is true. This is true. I always say petty men have small dicks, by the way. And the thing is, (laughs) like, I don't really care about like how much power you have yeah like i don't care like honestly i mean on the upside if like you're probably a shitty human and if you have that much power and i'm married to you then you're probably not around and that probably makes me very happy then you end up like nobody wants to be julie chen right now okay no sorry julie chen moonbez oh is how she's now being called honey like i feel like her career Mm. no Mm. no and that's the thing she rode on the coattails of another man of a man so her she tied her fate to him so if he goes down she goes down yeah yeah that's the peril um i here's the thing i think um i will say that we view women as a subset of men, mm. not as 
an individual group that's that's separate. Yes, I would agree with that. And that's the same as when we talk about how women should run for office Mm -hmm. and women just trying to take on the qualities of men. Right. Good. I'm glad you brought this up (laughs) because I actually I actually went through this. I'm very proud that I went through this this original survey. Good God. I know because it's a long one. Oh, I see they have social media use. Okay. Um, So on several aspects of corporate leadership, many give women the edge, right? But let me tell you, let me tell you these aspects. So they, they came up with sort of, um, they came up with, with traits of, I guess, leadership. And um, they asked the people in the survey, are women better at this? Are men better at this? Or is there no difference? Listen to the ones that women are better at. Creating a safe and respectful workplace. Valuing people from different backgrounds. Considering the societal impact of business decisions. Mentoring young employees. Providing fair pay and good benefits. You know what men were better at? Negotiating profitable deals. That was telling to me. Telling. Because all the, all the what you would call, in quotation, soft skills, mm-hmm. w- that, and soft skills that come from a more um, nurturing background, mm-hmm. women were better at. But they can't be good at negotiation. Oh, no, no, no. They can't be good at um, the actual hard skills of of making a deal. I I know I, I, I channeled Trump. I'm sorry. Well, Trump can't even make good deals as we can see. But if you go, if you go down in the survey, um, it says, or, you know, following that, it says, um, more say being assertive and being ambitious help men get ahead than say the same for women. Well, yeah, because we become bitches. Right. So, but listen to this. So being assertive, 74%, and this is, this is separated between politics and, and business, which is roughly the same, so I'm not going to say the two because it's confusing. Okay, being assertive helps men, 74%, 73, 74%, helps women, about 50%. Being decisive helps men. 72% say that. Helps women. Only 63%. Wow. Being ambitious helps men. About 70%. Helps women. About 50% what? say so. Yeah. Oh, but look at this. Being approachable. Helps men. 60 to 65% of people say that it helps men. say that it helps women. Being physically attractive. Yes. It only helps men. 50% say it helps men. I would say it's higher than that, but okay. It it is because there is this like um, this Patrick Bateman type mentality when it comes to success in men and leadership. But anyway. Helps women, 
60 to 69%. Wow. But being compassionate helps women also more than it helps men. Now, this is the funny thing with the being compassionate. In business, those numbers fall for both sexes. Hmm. So it helps men in politics. 49% say yes, it does help men. Only 29% say that it helps men in business. Hmm. Yeah. So I think that, so obviously, the point that I'm making through all of this is that the way people imagine women in leadership is to come and clean up the fucking mess. Hmm. Is to create the environments that men can't create it's to come which is why you see female leaders come in to clean up the messes that male leaders make after their exit the uber ceos the um the i think uh is it mclean's that has a c ceo yeah. woman um didn't they have something anyway um i could be misspeaking with mclean's I'll check it out or you guys can tweet me about it. But you know how we always talk about how women are ascend into leadership positions after like a male scandal. This is why, because this is the way we view women in leadership positions Mm. as matrons, not as actual leaders that can get stuff done that can do all the hard work and come out with the results. Yeah. And that's why. So I think there are certain women who play on that and who are successful playing on that. But I look at the Nancy Pelosi's and the Hillary Clinton's and how reviled they were. They are by Republican men. Yep. So, uh, moving to our next topic, um, with the Kavanaugh hearing this week, um, our favorite recent Republican president, I'm sure you guys fucking love him because he fucking paints little pictures. George W. Bush has been was uh, making calls to senators who haven't yet decided if they would vote for Kavanaugh. Um, as the Washington Rep- Post reports, uh, Bush reached out to Republican senators Susan Collins, Jeff Flake, and Lisa Murkowski, all who were possibly swing votes in uh, in the vote. And he also reached out to Democratic Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia, who is in a red state and is generally a moderate. Uh, the group of four uh, was seen as the key to Kavanaugh's confirmation. Without their votes, he would fail to, or could fail, I guess, in the, now the eventual Senate vote to land a seat on the Supreme Court. The Post suggests that Bush entered the fray, at least in part because these undecided senators are less likely to be swayed by President Trump, who hasn't made a very good impression on any of them. Uh, Bush and Brett Kavanaugh go way back. In the year 2000, uh, Brett Kavanaugh worked for George Bush during the Florida recount. In 2003, he nominated Kavanaugh to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, uh, where he is working for uh, Merrick Garland. And uh, that nomination was held up for three years, during which time Kavanaugh served as White House Staff Secretary. Um, and in the summer of tw- 2006, Kavanaugh finally made it to the court. And his time, Kavanaugh's time as White House Staff Secretary was a part of the 
issue with getting all of the documentation and his nomination from the get-go. Um, so, Erica, how do these backroom deals adversely affect women seeking office and their ability to lean in, even if some of them are, you know, um, the ones who are he is reaching out to? Well, it goes to... I To be honest... I mean, was the same done for Judge Sotomayor? Did she have um, Republic or sorry, Democrats? For example, did Ted Kennedy? I think he was alive then, right? I think he was still alive, Ted Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Um, did Ted Kennedy reach out and whip the votes for Judge Sotomayor? I don't think so. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but these connections i mean we think they're so paltry they are not Mm -hmm. okay bush bush comes from a dynasty a political dynasty and um that holds a lot of sway it is it is part of washington it is like the bricks and mortar of washington and because kavanaugh and him were just best buds in their little um, their little torture to tirade, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, and because of that, they obviously have a close connection. So it doesn't matter what Kavanaugh did or didn't do. Bush, it's his guy. And that kind of like, I think it's fealty mm-hmm. is just something that women in general, don't have access to. Even women who come from those families. Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Exactly. Um, Which is what makes Carolyn Mulroney just such a fucking disappointment. Well, she didn't disappoint me. She disappointed all of you who had faith in her that I didn't have. So (laughs) I was like, I didn't see any evidence of what everybody was talking about. But that's what makes it so tragic. That's what makes her such a tragic figure. Yeah, and I think that um, this, like, George Bush's kind of advocate advocacy work and, like, whipping the vote here is more important probably than in previous under previous presidents because Donald Trump is so toxic, an individual. And so he can't send his people from the white house to go do the job because people think he's an idiot and they hate him or whatever. They might, so, they might have a protest vote. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Like it could go the other way. And so they need to, they need to use someone who has good, who can do it quote unquote in good faith and who has good relationships with these people. Um, and long-standing relationships, long-standing yeah. relationships and can, who can, maybe possibly vouch for Kavanaugh. Exactly. Um, exactly. To do the job. Because I'm sure that he's done, like, fucking Orrin Hatch is still in the Senate. How is that even possible? Listen, half like, these people just need to just die. Like, just need I to, mean, like, Orrin Hatch they're is so like old. 90 years old. Like, he's literally like 90 years. Yeah, I'm not he's even. Like, he's I, like 89. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm not like exaggerating here. This is not hyperbole. And so think about that long-standing Bush connection, it probably goes back to his father. Oh, absolutely. Right? So my point is, how do you, how do you counterbalance that? 
if you are a woman who is coming from maybe a modest background or even an upper class background, you don't have that. So the point is, is that these men can go out and say, you know, you want to vote for him because he's my boy. And that's all that's needed. That's it. Yeah. That is it. And that is how Rem- remember when you when I'm remember when I did that thing for you before. Yeah. Remember when I did that other thing for you? I'm calling or it a you, favor. Or you want me to come raise some money for your campaign. Right. Or you could go the other way, depending on, you know, how, you know, how adherent the other person is. So, or you could say, you know what? I will I will fundraise for your challenger. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Either way, that's power. Yeah. That's exactly what power is. And there aren't. It's more than just influence. It's it's you have the engine to back it up. Yeah, I will say, and we were talking about this before we started recording, is that none, no Republican women were out there trying to whip the vote for Kavanaugh. No, not even Kellyanne Conway, who hate her or love her, probably hate her if you're listening to us. Um, but she did not touch this with a 10 foot pole. That's true. She has been silent on this. She likes to run her mouth and she did not say a goddamn thing. Yeah. She is not dumb. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's probably too busy worrying about her marriage, but, uh, Oh, what's happening with that? Oh, he's a very outspoken Trump. Critic. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I heard about that. Yeah. I haven't read the profile of Kellyanne Conway and her husband. It's pretty funny. Anyway, he's like gives no fucks. Yeah. So like the Republican women are like in a tough spot because. Like, I don't want to give them sympathy because they do this to themselves. Yeah. But like also there are no Republican women of note of power. You know, there's no Nancy Pelosi. There's like Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, but they're, they don't have power. They have power in so far that they're swing votes. I'm thinking because they passed the tax bill in oh like last December because Lisa Merc- or Susan Collins wanted some vote on um something healthcare related and Mitch McConnell said okay and then never gave her the vote or like gave her a joke vote that didn't matter and so they don't hold real power I'm looking cuz I I I can't think of one. I I really can't think of one. Not in Congress. Not in Congress, not in the Senate. That's Actually. Congress. I thought Congress it's is just both. the House. It's both. Is it both? Yeah. Oh fuck. <laughs> I I'm 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 getting a lot of like <laughs> Okay. Um Yeah. Who? Uh, um. Well, it just goes to show, too, why the Republicans hate Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi and Maxine Waters so much. Like, it's deranged at this point. Mm. Like, when Kavanaugh was like, it's a Clinton conspiracy, I'm like, really? Should you be, like, you're supposed to be impartial. So why are you... Why are you promoting conspiracy theories of the right wing? I think that's concerning, too. But that's just an aside. But, yeah, I can't think of any powerful 
Republican women. Yeah, I'm still thinking. No. No. Well, uh... Now, uh, can we talk... I have... Can we stop this rebranding of George W. Bush? I'm so sick and fucking tired of mainstream media and critics and centrists, okay, who want to rebrand George W. Bush as this, this, um, this, you know, this little, as Mr., not Mr. Dithers, he was always dithery, but like, just like he was just like an aw shucks southerner. Aw shucks. The nice grandpa who paints watercolors and gives Michelle Obama pieces of candy at a funeral. Yeah. The man is fucking dangerous still. No one's saying he's not nice. That's yeah. not what people aren't Yeah. I'm sure he's a nice person. Well, he's a nice guy. Like, I'm sure he's not an. Like, I'm sure when you meet him or talk to him, he's all right. Like, he's a nice guy kind of whatever listen because michelle obama is not going to pretend that's true you saw her with melania yeah yeah although that's a different situation yeah more sympathy yeah pity Um, but he was a (laughs) shitty president a shitty leader this is a man who brought torture into the American, like, way of doing things. He made it cool to be dumb and ignorant, and that is not the case. I mean, like, he was, like, he was a dangerous president. And this rebranding of him as some harmless, it's the harmless part of that sort of, you know, caricature that people have used to describe him that is insidious it's the fact that oh well he's harmless now no he's not obviously just because he's not in office doesn't make him harmless as you can see he's out there shilling for these clowns and what does that say about his sort of view of women and harassment. Well, you should ask his daughters. Are they sober? <laughs> I'm just, yeah. Anyway. Boo if you want to. You know I'm right. <laughs> anyway, uh, so our last subject uh, is uh, bringing it back to Canada. This week, Doug Ford's administration in Ontario announced that it would not be moving forward with a scheduled $1 increase to Ontario's minimum wage which would have brought it to $15 per hour. Instead, it will stay at $14 an hour, leading Ontario workers to be out nearly $2,000 annually. The wage increase earlier this year caused quite the commotion as businesses lamented that they would have to raise prices, lay off workers, or close up shop due to the increased operating costs. However, reporting done in this area found that not to be the case, which makes the Conservatives' logic for the halting of the wage increase to be puzzling. Labor Minister Lori Scott, always the fucking woman, said that the increase was soft because it, quote, hurt job creation in the province. Scott attempted to argue that scrapping the minimum wage raise would be offset by a tax credit aimed at low-wage workers, although she could not say when the tax credit would actually be rolled out. Sheila Block, an economist, said Ford's tax cut would only save low-wage workers $817 a year, which does not come close to offsetting the loss of just shy of $1,900 in 
missed wages by clawing back the minimum wage. So Erica, as our resident economist, what are your thoughts in terms of the benefits to the worker here? Well, I mean, I don't know why we think tax cuts are the answer to everything. Right, yes. Because in in actuality, I mean, you're only getting that tax cut once a year, mm-hmm. right? At the the rest of the year, you are you are spending money. Mhm. And if you have less at the time that you need to spend, it's more of a cost to you to delay that difference. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. So because of interest, because of interest, because of um, maybe there's a loss in value of what you're buying. Um, Maybe what you're buying does not really fit your needs. Um. And that can delay progress for you. So there's an opportunity cost argument to be made. Uh, I do think that this, I, from what I understand, this is part of the rolling back of the entire benefits package. And because I think, too, that they are also canceling the um, the vacation pay or... I'm not sure. I feel like I like I think I read this. I'm sorry. I I think um also the barriers. So the point of I I just want to say the point of the entire package is not just a, a, like wage benefit package was that was passed by the previous government. It was not only about the minimum wage. It was a suite of benefits Mm. and it was there to put in place by the government because private sector does not provide that anymore because the lower wage workers are not workers with benefits anymore. So once the private sector rolls back those benefits, government has to there's more pressure on government and tax dollars to fill that gap. So if you don't want to pay for it through your tax dollars, then I would suggest that you start supporting your local union. Mm. Yeah. I, I think that, I mean, don't get me wrong, like relative to um, places in America and other provinces, $14 in terms of a minimum wage is on the higher end. And I do think it should be raised to $15 because it's barely a living wage. Yeah. Um, I was... So I... We go on panels and on the radio, uh, Eric and I and Amy occasionally also on this ra- local radio station on AM radio, uh, News 1310. And uh, I follow them on Facebook. And um, they were talking... They put up a question every day and there's like a poll and people can vote. And one of the questions this week was... Oh, like, what are your thoughts? Should Ontario, like, raise the minimum wage and, like, follow through with the commitment on the $15, even though it was done by the previous government, da-da-da-da. And people were just like, I don't think that someone making my latte should be making $15 an hour. And I wouldn't be like, are you fucking kidding me? 
Do you know the conditions under which they have to work? One, they have like no benefits very likely. Two, it's all fucking shift work and they, you know, may maybe only work three shifts a week. So what? That's uh, 24 hours a week at best. Um, also, they're on their feet all day. It's very tough on their body. It's not easy. They're, it's labor intensive. You have to deal with people's shit. People treat you like garbage. It's just a very stressful environment to work in minimum wage jobs and minimum and to be a barista and other service industry jobs that to be like, oh, well, they don't deserve it because they're just making my latte is the most fucking elitist bullshit I have heard in Ottawa in a long ass time. Here's, you know what? When people see themselves as citizens first and taxpayers second, then we'll get some real progress in this fucking country. I'm so tired of this taxpayer view. You're a fucking citizen of a community first and of a country second. Okay, so why don't you start thinking like a citizen? It is the most self-centered, selfish thinking, and it, it is not profitable in terms of the, well, the civic well-being. And you're part of that. You can't be divorced from the latte worker. If you see yourself as better, fuck you, first of all. Second of all... um. You're going to pay for it in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to pay up front, you're just going to pay in hidden costs. Well, yeah. And the argument that it hurts job creation is so weird to me because in America, what the the unemployment rate is, what, 4.9%, and it's basically stagnated. And there are still a lot of... I see job postings all the time, which means that the economy is like basically operating at its full capacity there are no more people who are able to take these jobs for whatever reason because you are, the requirements are too high or there just aren't people who are looking for work for whatever reason they have to or they're ill or they're taking care of families or whatever and that's just the way it is sometimes there just aren't people to take jobs you don't always need to be creating new jobs if there aren't people to take them yeah, and I, I, I. It also depends on the type, the quality of the jobs you're creating. Well, that's the question, right? Is that it's one thing talking to about say two jobs, jobs, jobs. It's another thing to actually look in with the job, look at the jobs, and see which jobs are accelerating quicker than others. Because if you're making like office jobs and white collar jobs, then with the, minim- the cost of the minimum wage doesn't matter to you. No, if because you're, you're going to have to pay above the minimum wage anyway. Yeah, you're going to be on a salary. It depends on the job. How many more service jobs do we need? Are they going to bring back coal or whatever the fuck? Seriously. I don't know. I'm making things up, but you know what I mean. I wouldn't put it past 
No, for sure. Like, I really no. wouldn't. I would also like to point out that every time Doug Ford does some fuckery, he trots out a woman to tell us. That's exactly what I said. Yeah. Oh, is that what you just said? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was implying. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, that nurturing, compassionate, make life better. It's it's and it's sexist as fuck. Mm. That is sexism, people. Mm-hmm. They use women, and don't get me wrong. Like Trudeau does it on the other side. So I I'm not I'm not here to like I'm I'm here to just burn them all. Okay, <laughs> like and 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 whenever Trudeau gets in trouble, he pushes out a woman. Just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> Whenever something a little too hot, it's a woman. Doug Ford is doing the same thing on the other side. And my thing, like, I don't even, like, you're being used. You're being used by men as cover. And I'd like everybody, every woman listening to this podcast to just take a look at their office this week. And um, maybe shit won't go down at your office this week. But I would like to just put it in your, just plant a seed. When shit goes down, guess who takes cover and guess who's pushed out to take the hit. I'm Mm. just saying. Well, on that note, stay tuned for Rent and Receipts. And now we're moving on to rent and receipts. This is where we bring something to share with the other. The other. other. Erica. Where I bring something to share with Erica and she brings something to share with me. So uh, have at it. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> we just discussed this. I know. I thought I heard this, but I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. So I'm going to bring the heavy this week. Ugh. Because um, I didn't realize. Okay, so Kimber, Kimberly Crenshaw, of all people, the one who coined intersectionality back in the 70s, uh, wrote an op-ed in the New York Times this week. And she just spoke to our collective soul. So, um 27 years ago, in 1991, um, Anita Hill gave testimony to the Senate Judiciary Committee about the alleged sexual harassment she she suffered under then-SCOTUS nominee Clarence Thomas. Judge Thomas, who spent years attacking the work of civil rights leaders and his own black sister, asserted his own racial victimhood by denouncing Ms. Hill's testimony as a, quote, high-tech lynching, unquote. More significantly, Judge Thomas's soundbite instantly divided white feminists and anti-racists who might have otherwise been able to unite to block his confirmation. And that's the central tragedy of what we haven't, hadn't learned or hadn't realized with Anita Hill's testimony. So Anita Hill was basically trapped between the anti-racist movement that foregrounded black men and 
white feminism that could not fully address how race shaped society's perception of black victims. And within the black community, outrage over a black woman who had dared to turn on a fellow African-American at the cusp of enormous judicial power was palpable. So um, Crenshaw goes into the othering of black women's sexuality as a long part of American history um, and how black women go through what they call, quote, the talk, where black mothers would have this talk with their daughters when they were summoned to work in the big house during slavery and the fields or in later in factories. And basically the talk is how to either avoid or basically how to deal with the impending sexual abuse that they would um, suffer, which really internalizes that abuse for black women. Um, So this stereotype um, has rationalized sexual abuse uh, for male predators of all races to black women. And so uh, it's a very, very good piece. I encourage you to read it. I just want to bring up some points. Um, And this is why we talk about white feminism versus feminism. Let it be known that all feminism is intersectional or should be. But... White feminists, um, in the way they treated the Anita Hill story, really sold her short. And that's because they didn't know. And they rightly denounced the locker room treatment of her by the Judiciary Committee and the media. But they were largely flat-footed in their efforts to grapple with the racial undertow that sapped her support within the Senate, and within much of the African-American community. They cast her as an accomplished lawyer and a legal scholar whose race was immaterial. And race is never immaterial. Um, It was a colorblind kind of feminism that did a profound disservice to her and marked another key of political eraser, erasure. Um... And one that really affected modern feminist history. Um, I remember, so I was probably around, I think, 11 when this Anita Hill story came about. And um, I remember those conversations within the black community. And I remember... One black woman out of my like parents' peers who were like, he did it. He did it. And she stuck her heels in and he was she was like, he did it. Everybody else was like, how dare she? How dare this Jezebel come in, like take away all the accomplishments of our brother. But I remember that one woman. And when I was reading this article, she kept flashing in my mind and all I could think of was I remember you and you were right 
And um, I just want to say that I just want to touch on a couple of the stereotypes of black women. So when you read, go out and read stories or you're internalizing or conceptualizing racially um, stratified sort of sexual assault stories, think of these stereotypes. And these stereotypes come from slavery. So black women can be the sapphire. So this is where the angry black woman stereotype comes from, of a domineering female who consumes men and usurps their role and is devoid of maternal compassion and understanding. So that makes black women less nurturing, more quote-unquote willing to submit to the sexual desires of men and it also means that no one will believe them. So that makes black women pray to men of all races. I think in Oklahoma there was a guy, there was a cop a couple of years ago who prayed specifically on black women and mur- and raped and murdered them. Um, there is, there are numerous examples of this. Um Another stereotype is that of the Jezebel. So the idea that black women are sexually promiscuous. This also gives the impression that black women could not be rape victims because they always desired sex, thereby legitimizing sexual assault of black female slaves by white males. So um, I just want to say that um, the sexual freedom that is proposed by by feminism, especially by modern feminism, is somewhat um, curtailed when it comes to black women because of these stereotypes. So, Erin, um, yeah. <laughs> so, I have been wondering about this whole through this whole um, Christine Blasey Ford situation how the public would be reacting if it was a black woman. Cause like, I mean, I follow like a very specific set of people on Twitter and a lot of them are black women and women of color and very progressive feminists. And I know that they would support her and believe her no matter what, but it's more just like the normal everyday person. One of the things I one of the first thoughts I had once I heard about five minutes of um, Dr. Ford's testimony is that, ooh, thank God you're a white woman. Yep. Because she came, she, her demeanor was not, it didn't say at first strength and confidence to me. It said that her story is believable because she was contrite, because she held herself back. But there was still a vulnerability. There was a vulnerability that elicited a compassion. That black women aren't. That black women aren't afforded. That she was. Who didn't feel like reaching out and hugging her, right? Yeah. I felt that. Mm -hmm. And so 
I'm not saying that she did this as a tactic. That's not what I'm. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But it just goes to show that how our roles are interpreted between black women and white women is that in that moment, she became the innocent white victim that everybody wanted to protect. Yeah. So um, a friend of the pod, uh, Sachi Cole, had a really good tweet about this. She said, Ford is your perfect victim. She was young and sober when it happened. White, smart, established, educated. If people don't believe her, I feel so despairing for the rest of us who don't have believable stories. Yes, that's exactly it. That's the point. And I mean, and compared with like Anita Hill, sure. Yes, we've quote unquote come so far as a society because that is relative depending on who you are and how you view the world. Um, but there was also another tweet about, oh, like if you don't like just because you don't like if you have to believe her but if it's not that you don't believe her it's like whether or not it matters Mm -hmm. to you as like a republican on the judiciary committee or whoever on the judiciary committee in the senate it matters because she was so believable and so so honest in her retelling of the incident that you couldn't not believe her this is ford or yeah ford okay yeah that like it all that matters what it came down to is whether or not you actually cared enough about what happened to her. Yeah. Yeah. That is it. I think Anita, uh, Anita Hill's sort of quote unquote mistake. And I use that in quotations Mm -hmm. is that she came, she presented as a very strong and capable woman. Yeah. And we think that she, there's no way this could have happened because she didn't look like a victim. That's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. We have a very specific, narrow margin of what a victim of rape looks like. Yeah. it's like or, a- or assault or harassment. Or literally anything. Look at fucking Taylor Swift. We're quick to believe Taylor Swift no matter what because she just gets her doe eyes up there. Even if she's trying to manipulate you. Mm-hmm. She plays up the innocent... This is why I don't like her. She plays up the innocent white woman very, very well and uses that as her brand. And so when she comes out in seeming strength, we give her cookies for it Mm. because um, we think, oh, that that she's... all of a sudden transformed and built this up while maintaining her white innocence. Meanwhile, you get Beyonce who's talking about consensual sex with her husband. Yeah. Many years and partner for many years. Yeah. And people are fucking plural clutching and be like, Oh, we can't talk about that. Exactly. She's the Jezebel. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, even the blog Jezebel came up with the name for sure. a reason, right? I, 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 it's just, I mean, I think there's some really good sort of prescriptives that Crenshaw um, puts forth. Um, number one is let's actually look at these at black historical figures as feminists. So one of the things one of the things that I am 
like that I am starting to pay attention to is like Rosa Parks and how we see Rosa Parks in one specific moment in one specific frame. But Rosa Parks was a feminist as fuck. This is the woman who had a really dangerous job of defending um, Reese Taylor, who Oprah had mentioned in last year's Emmy speech, mm. who a black woman who was gang raped by white men and left for dead, who were never held accountable, by the way. The other thing, too, is um, rape in a black um, sort of context is is different. It's state sanctioned. It is a mode of terrorism. It's not just an individual act. It is, um, the, it's like what lynching is for black men, you know? Rape is a form of lynching and of black women. So there's that piece too. Um, so Rosa Parks used to go out and investigate gang rapes of black women and try to bring them to like bring seek justice for them like do you know how in like rural alabama in like 1940s how fucking dangerous that is that's fucking date like i don't like i would be like girl do you have a death wish (laughs) you know or or there are other black women who have been kept out of the history books of feminism, who have been kept out of feminist theory. When I used to study feminist theory, um, because I did for a bit, um, I didn't hear about Sandra Bundy or Michelle Vinson or Pamela Price, who led the way for sexual harassment to be recognized as sex discrimination in landmark cases. Or the woman who brought about Title IX, mm-hmm. you know, was a black woman. She was a black lawyer. When we hear about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we don't hear about Polly Murray, who was credited with advancing the logic of race and gender in parallel to open up gender discrimination. We don't hear about the Kimberly Crenshaws, who... who came up with intersectionality because of a, dis- a gender discrimination case that she was working on. We are not recognized in feminism only in a racial context because we're othered within the feminist construct, even though we are the foundation of the feminist construct. That's my piece. Yeah. Great. So, uh, my rent and receipts this week is um, something that we haven't talked about, and I'm not sure how this is the case, but uh, it's becoming very salient here in Canada. So on October 17th, weed will be officially become legalized in Canada. And for whatever the fuck reason, uh, Chelsea Handler is going to be embarking very shortly on a cross-Canada tour to participate in a series of discussions on women and weed called, quote, a civilized conversation with Chelsea Handler, which is the dumbest fucking name ever. Chelsea Handler really likes making it very clear what she's doing. So you just come here, you have a civilized conversation. There's nothing (laughs) else going to happen aside from civilized talking. That's it. She's probably had to deal with, well, she's had to deal with men. (laughs) 
Anyway, so she her her tour and forthcoming business because she got rid of her show on Netflix or was canceled or something. I don't know. Um, are only part a small part of a larger trend: the so-called pinkification of pot, an immense commercial effort to connect women, weed, and wellness. I fucking hate the word pinkification. Oh my gosh, I was just gonna say it that is the worst. I hate it. The worst. I hate it. Okay, awful. So. Um, with uh, legalization happening in a couple weeks in Canada, we're seeing companies crop up that market weed to women and seeing if weed could become, quote, the next rosé. Um, spoiler, I think no, because I drink a lot of rosé. Um, anyway, for example, there's a, a Canadian company called Flourish, um, and it's marketing to millennials uh, and with you know an easy-to-navigate website and... Uh, very millennial focused Instagram and the founder says quote I'm proud to have a brand that is about empowering women so they can make informed decisions about their use of cannabis and to help them feel supported on their path towards well-being end quote um I mean fine uh but you'll notice that there is no marketing push to try to link uh wellness and pot for men it's just assumed that men are cool or rebellious um and they will naturally see the attraction to weed. Uh, and they don't need a marketing department to convince them of that. Men smoke weed. Cool. Awesome. Way to go. They get high and they fuck around and be done with their boys. And whereas women apparently are meant to smoke weed in their fucking pearls in order to like under the guise of wellness. It's marketed to us in the exact same way every other fucking thing is marketed to us as a way of fixing our supposed inadequacies of buying our way into a more into more appealing versions of ourselves because women after all have been long expected to buy our way to equality i'm looking at this flourish you know website and i'm at you know like their i guess who we are is like their board and i'm like even in our finest hour, there are more men on this board than women. And I'm just like, seriously? Seriously? Why is it that whatever we do, it has to be co-signed by men? Mm. That's just an aside. Okay, mm-hmm. sorry. Um, I hate pinkification. <laughs> um, we... And this is why I hate pink collar pinkification pink 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 fucking pink 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 <laughs> i hate it and it is very childlike mm. and it's 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 very flippant and it does not it does not give the impression of gravity of seriousness of professionalism yes, it's infantilizing it's infantilizing as I, it's the same way about sports. Yeah. I don't want a pink jersey or a pink hat or a cropped whatever or a baby tee jersey or something that is like, women love baseball. No thanks. Whenever, this is a good point because I need new weightlifting gloves and I will have to buy men's gloves if I don't want pink on the fucking gloves. Yep. Like, the marketing, it's not only the marketing, it's the fact that um, the the buying 
of these products for stores, it's all pink. Pink, pink, fucking pink. I, like, jeez. Anyway, sorry, let me get back to the point. Um, there, There's a reason we haven't talked about this. I, I just think that, you know, the time will come and we'll probably talk about weed more. But this wellness industrial complex that's been built headed by like Gwyneth hence why I hate Gwyneth Paltrow and her goop and her vaginal eggs and her those are the jade eggs I think yeah and steam cleaning your vagina it's it is based on it is it is parallel at at the same time intersects if that's even possible with the diet industry and both of those industries are premised on the notion that there's something fundamentally wrong with you woman that we can fix and that's my problem and that's where weed is coming into it's as though we can't smoke for pleasure or we can't take cannabis we're we're going to be relegated to the oils because god forbid that our hysterical selves could get more hysterical by smoking a joint. Mm -hmm. It's this reefer madness idea kind of superimposed on the invalid nature of a woman's mind and purpose. I'm not here for it. Yeah, it basically is saying that we just can't handle the real thing and we have to kind of dumb it down Mm -hmm. to make it palatable because... It's going to offend our very feminine sensitivities. Pearl clutching. And women in power promote that all the time. I am tired of, first of all, it seems that men are brought into women's spaces just so that those spaces can be legitimized. The amount of time I hear... Well, we can't do it without men. No, bitch. We can't do anything without feminism. How about that? Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm so tired of this. I like it just irks me. And to the point where I'm like, why is there a man on this panel? Well, he can give us the male perspective. I don't need the male perspective. I fucking see it every day. It's all over the place. It's on TV. It's on billboards. It's next door. We are literally here because of the male perspective. Yes. So why the fuck do I need to, to have stuff regurgitated that I already know? It's like, well, we need the white perspective on, on diversity. No, the fuck we don't. Okay. I see it every fucking day, all the time. I don't need it. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> I'm angry. I have just rage right now. Like, great. I'm. I'm just saying. Well, on that note, wait, uh, wait, wait. We're done. I thought yeah. we had more for this. Like, this is a good article. I don't you, Aaron. You're the marketing person. I just was like, <sighs> okay. Second of all, it all, but I do want to bring this up. Chelsea Handler obviously is a give no fucks woman. I hate Chelsea Handler. I'm not I have a fan. no time. I've n- I'm not a fan myself, but she is that, right? Yes. And she would do that to her. Sure. 
She's a very strong brand. Yeah. I just think, I don't think that there would be many, and you could, we could talk about the difference in her platform, in her reach, in her overall brand. But it does go back to the point that we were making earlier about women, the Michelle Obama in Canada, and whether or not, and the tall poppy syndrome, and the fact that a woman in Canada doing a tour like this, a woman, first of all, I I don't even know a woman who has that brand, to be honest. Also, we have to have uh, a cross-country... Uh, conversation about women and weed in the country where it's going to be legalized by an American? The fuck does she know about our country? This is what I'm getting to. Exactly. So, is the would there be a Canadian equivalent, though? Mm. Or, no, no, no. Let me, you know, let me rephrase that. Because why should there be a Canadian equivalent to something that's ours in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, we don't have the in terms of like a media personality no because i mean one we're too conservative in terms of how jazzy our media personalities are <laughs> and two we just don't have like the the population to develop a celebrity with that specific a niche of brand okay and our, to be honest, our celebrities are very much kept in a specific context. So we have, sure, music, you know, I guess writers, and we have the arts, quote unquote. Yeah. We don't have people with platforms or comedians or um it's not segmented it's very segmented yeah or it's there's not as many segments yeah exactly exactly so but i don't know if we could even even if there were one i don't think that we would have a canadian woman who would stick her neck out like that and do a cross-country tour that's my point but that's a chicken. Yeah. That's a chicken in the egg kind of thing. Sure. Is sure. it that we don't grow them because we're too conservative, or we're too conservative so we don't let them shine? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So that's a question for you, listeners. Hmm. So now we'll tell you where you can find us to answer <laughs> that question. <laughs> Follow us on social media on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy, on Instagram at Bad and Bitchy Pod, on Facebook slash Bad and B Podcast. Um, and uh, you can email us, you know, comments, feedback. Um, if you have questions for our Dear Bitches column, you can uh, send those to us too. And that is Bad and B Pod at uh, gmail.com. Bye. 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 B